The views and opinions expressed on From the Mouths of Madness are that of the panel and not of the Geeks Under the Influence Network or their sponsors. Amazon.com and TeePublic.com. Listeners, beware. For another episode of From the Mouths of Madness, and I'm stoked to do this one. Are you guys stoked? This movie is awesome. Incredibly excited. Yeah. Yeah, it was pretty good. Fuck you. Pretty good. <laughs> so, so, so the asshole to the, that is also my co-host, uh, that'd be F.U. Hunter, who says it's up. It's pretty good. What's up, bitches? Yeah. He's being a bitch right now. <laughs> Fucking pretty good. I'm just fucking with you, dude. I, <laughs> I fucking know, loved I know it. you are. Yeah. I know you are. What if I did hate it, though? Like, is it just me talking shit the entire time? Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. And um, the other panelist... Hey, on. it's Mike here, and I was going to say, if you did hate this thing, you better watch your ass, because Stephen King has been on Twitter going hard as a motherfucker at critics who didn't like it. I saw him tweet today, the AV Club gave it a C plus. Stephen King goes, one of these days, the AV Club will have something slightly positive to say about the dozens of projects I release a year. And I was like, damn, Whoa. earth leveled. Wow, considering it's a, pretty much a sequel to Kubrick's Shining, that's a little weird. He's like all in on this shit. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, he, but in in that he said that. Uh, oh, all right. Before we get any further, <laughs> yeah, you have no idea further, what we're talking about. You have no idea what we're talking about. No. So as I said, third panelist was Mike. Um, he was who gave us a little tour update for the King, and um, we are going to be talking about Doctor Sleep. Now, this movie just dropped, and uh, this is going to be spoiler heavy. All spoilers, all day. Again, I know Hunter hates this when I say that, but because clearly you'll see in the title, it's about <laughs> Dr. Sleep, and it's coming out in a timely manner, so you know it's going to spoil the fucking movie. We're not just going to talk about the trailer, like Kyle. And uh... <laughs> Yeah. Should we do a Kyle-style episode one time where we just talk about the trailer and be like, we decide we're we'll not going to watch the movie. We'll drop a mini soap yeah. one day. With this one, we kind of have to talk about the trailers. Cause, like, oh, we do. Yeah. This one in particular. So... If, if, you, if you haven't seen the movie yet and you care about spoilers and with this movie you fucking should because the trailer doesn't give you shit compared to what's actually in the movie which I like it really doesn't give you a lot um, then stop go watch the movie please come back and listen to this uh, if you don't care about spoilers then just move on keep on keep on trucking and, the title of the episode is the movie we're covering and it will say spoilers in big bold <laughs> white capital letters so there you go alright now uh, yeah, no, Stephen King put out uh, a whole statement about how much he loved this sequel, and, you know, everyone knows how much he hates Kubrick's Shining. Uh, I still don't understand it. I don't know how he likes the miniseries better, which is a giant ball of shit, um, but he does. Well, I did some research into why Stephen King hates The Shining so much. He feels like Kubrick discarded the parts of the novel that he absolutely loved and focused on. His biggest complaint is that there's no arc whatsoever for Jack Torrance in the Stanley Kubrick movie. Jack starts, and I quote Stephen King with one of his favorite phrases, crazier than a shithouse rat. You can tell that in the meeting that he's in in the first one, and he stays that way. And there is no redemption for Jack Torrance the way that there is in the novel. Because in the novel, and again, we're spoiling everything, uh, there's a redemption arc. Uh, Jack ultimately saves his family from the hotel in the novel, whereas the uh, end of the movie, yeah, not so much. Not so much, not at all. And he hates that because Stephen King's story is one where he believes it's tragedy. Jack Torrance never should have gone insane that way, whereas Stanley Kubrick's is just mayhem. And that's, I mean, that's kind of what I like about it, though. Yeah. I love the I love difference. It. I love the difference between the book and the movie. I mean, I read the book. I saw the movie first, read the book in, in uh, last year, middle school or freshman year, high school. Love the book. Definitely two, two totally tone different feels. They did not try to, Kubrick did not try to copy Stephen King's tone at all because Kubrick was very uh, much up his own ass, but for good reason, you know, um, and I can't say one's better than the other. I mean, I guess from a creator standpoint, Stephen King, he's like, you know, I don't want someone to do, to, to like completely change my story, you know? Yep, and I'm an avowed fan of The Shining, the film, and the novel as well. They both have their beautiful things about them. But one of the things Stanley Kubrick truly discarded was the concept of Shining, basically. Everyone I know who's seen the film recently without doing any additional reading or checking out the novel asks me, what the fuck is Shining? Why is it even in that? And that's a problem with the Kubrick film. That is true, and that's a good way to really talk. start talking about this movie, Dr. Sleep. Talk about... The opening up the door on The Shining, which the original book 
does, but still doesn't do. Obviously, like I said, the, 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 the Kubrick Shining doesn't really touch into it that much. You get a little Miss Catman Carruthers talking about it, but that's it. It's very secondary. Exactly. It's very much the hotel. Also, Danny can talk with his finger. And... That's the worst fucking part about that. That's so goddamn stupid. Um, I fucking, <laughs> oh, I hate it. But fuck you, Mike. <laughs> he's he's fingering me. Um, <laughs> but, All right, I'm um, gonna leave now. I... Not that kind of fingering. <laughs> okay, good. I'm back, and I'm back. <laughs> Says you. But um, yeah. In the book, they do go more in depth with the Shining, uh, the Shine. But in the in the Doctor Sleep in this sequel, they 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 cover exactly. You know what it is. It's you know? it's a switch. It's in, it's in this focus. one. Yeah, as I'm saying, in this one, the Shine is the focus. The Overlook is secondary. The Overlook is the fucking, like, secret weapon, actually. We'll get into that. I don't want to get right to that at the beginning of the episode, but that's actually the secret weapon of the fucking movie, which is awesome. Stephen King's universe is so weird and bizarre and so convoluted, it would take us hours to explain basic concepts to, like, newbies. Um, you would need the Charlie-style Always Sunny conspiracy board to explain some of it. One of the things I loved about Dr. Sleep, it is accessible as could be. You can walk in never having read a word of Stephen King and understand everything that is happening. Clear, concise explanations, but it's not in an obtrusive way. It really sort of lets the story unfold, and you'll figure it out. You'll understand what Shining is. You'll understand who the antagonists are, where they're from, and how they get to be what they are. It's great that way. I mean, yeah, I mean, the movie com comes out swinging with, this is who the villain is. And if, and I mean, okay, you definitely want to at least have seen or know the characters and the basic cliff notes of The Shining before you go into this, because it does heavily, you know, continue that story. So if you go in not having seen The Shining, you're probably going to be like, well, I don't give a fuck about this kid, this, this kid Danny and growing up what he's dealing with, yada, yada, yada. I feel like most people should be familiar with The Shining. I, I, it's weird to me to think that there are people that haven't watched The Shining, but just in case you haven't, um, Ready Player One kind of filled in some little gaps yeah, in their 10-minute yeah, shining scene, just in case you didn't actually watch a Kubrick movie. Yeah. That was going to be my comment exactly. <laughs> if you don't have time to watch The Shining or you think you'll be too scared, go ahead and check out Ready Player One. It'll give you everything you need to go straight into Doctor Sleep. Or every show cartoon pretty much ever from the late in the late 80s and 90s did a spoof on that. Even that crazy-ass uh, cat cop show, Bonkers the Cat or whatever the fuck, he was like, he was a cop and they had, it was called The Shinning. <laughs> it was the name of the episode. It's stupid. Simpsons. Yeah, that. Groundskeeper <laughs> Willie on The Simpsons as well. Yeah. You kind of cover it with that that Triassic yeah. Horrors episode because yeah. it covers the main beats of The Shining in, exactly. in that episode. So, so. Um, but yeah, th this movie definitely you have no there's no like gray area of who is who and what is what that you have your protagonist, you have your antagonist, and you have your your uh, as far as for the protagonist, you have his you know Danny. I love Ewan McGregor's portrayal of Danny. Like this movie not only is is a horror movie. If you and I were talking before we recorded, it, it, it comes across slightly as a superhuman superpower movie, like because it's almost like the, that. The shine's a force. It's a superpower. Yeah, the the beats of it, like it starts out very horror-ish, kind of continuous shining, and then getting that middle part, it very much like you could almost put Professor X versus like somebody with like the abilities. Yeah. But it's also a deeply human, relatable story, and I think that's one of the wonderful things about it, and probably why Stephen King loves it so much. It's true to his vision. These are stories about family history in the novel form, and in this one, it's about a man grappling with his alcoholism, trying to find purpose in the world around him, and ultimately redemption. Yes, you're right. It is, and it's also about um, you are not responsible for the sins of the father. That whole that whole mentality, because like he says in uh, his AA meeting, he's like, "Well, my my dad." did this and all he wanted was to make it to five months, you know? So him becoming an alcoholic in the movie, dealing with, with the, you know, as his way to cope with the past trauma. Um, and also it's genetic too, you know, addiction is, is genetic. Um, so the fact that he became an alcoholic and his father was an alcoholic, it was very much, it, it, it just, I love that man. The emotion in this movie and Ewan McGregor's emotional portrayals at the right, Oh God, he just nailed it at the right time. It was awesome. When he was at the meeting though, I felt like he could be like, look, None of you motherfuckers can compare to the trauma I, I have. Like, no, I believe him. That's what, but I'm just saying, like, you know, I did this, you know, and everybody has their alcoholic stories. He's like, uh, any of y'all motherfuckers been traumatized by a fucking ghost and your dad chasing with an axe? I don't think so. All right. Sit yeah, down. Sit fair. down. I win. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was really surprised. It's one of the, like, most aggressively violent movies I've seen in a very, very long time. A really oppressive, horrifying atmosphere. But I got choked up watching him work at the hospice. Oh, that was beautiful. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely that was beautiful. beautiful. Just what you were saying, by the way, 
I can deal and see with a lot of shit, but the way they film the baseball kid. Oh, dude. Kind of fucked with me. Yeah. Because it's, you're waiting for it just to introduce, this is what's going to happen to the kid, camera fade away. No, you're going through that entire attack, and it, that was kind of it was pretty fucked up and like actually seeing them hurt him to get the to get Holy the steam shit. but like when he asked like are you gonna hurt me and she was just like yes i'm like oh bitch i just thought she fuck? was gonna present the knife no you're gonna get the idea they're over and over and over slow again. death slow death they're draining God him damn yeah i saw a lot of discussion as to whether or not that scene was dramatically necessary in a lot of the reviews that are out there of it um, and it's interesting that they just don't flinch because earlier, you know how the true not um, does their thing. And uh, for those of you who haven't seen it, they basically kill children and drink their psychic energy. Um, the trailer alludes to this. And of course, the first one, completely bloodless, just menacing. You just know something bad happened to a kid from a poster. The second one, again, you see some steam drinking, but you don't understand exactly where it came from. And then finally, it goes for broke and swings for the fences. Yeah, and uh, fuck. I mean, so basically, like like Mike just said, the the, the true knot they're your uh, antagonist, and they are basically psych vampires, and they just drink, they feed off psychic energy. They they're not immortal; they need the energy to live, but they they can live for thousands of years because they 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 find people that have the shine, and then they um just drain that out of them, and they keep reserves. They have like basically <laughs> mar- like uh, uh, shakers, alcoholic like bartender shaker cups full of like. Just other people's steam, leftover steam, you know, as as they call it. So you know, the protagonists call it the shine. Uh, the 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 true knot call it the steam. Um, and all right, so correct me if I'm wrong on this, but uh, it's, it's kind of similar in the Stephen King's book Insomnia with that whole crew and them seeing like the lifeline. You know what I mean? Above them in the aura of life. Oh, yeah. I feel like that's all intertwined in some way or another there. It absolutely is. The true knot, and the movie alludes to this as well, when Ewan McGregor gives a speech at the end um, about monsters being both from here and elsewhere. Um, Yeah, the true knot is related to a number of antagonists in Stephen King's world. Dr. Sleep, the book, makes it very clear, as does Nosferatu. And it's not, they're not the only people in his universe who feed on children and their energy. Charlie Manx of Nosferatu does it as well, as does the Deadlights from It. Oh, yeah. Oh, I was about to bring that yeah. up, yeah. Yep. And in Doctor Sleep, it's very clear all three of those entities know each other, and they don't like each other because their methods are just a little bit different. And it's also competition at this point. Yes. Right? Because <laughs> so. this makes it very clear, and it does set up very early on that the True Knot's in a battle for their own existence. They're losing steam. Literally... And metaphorically, because the world is not what it used to be, where they used to have ease of making new members, meeting kids that they can eat. Uh, they're not anymore. They're having it really struggling, and this is do or die for them. So they're willing to throw everything they have at it. I like that we did get to see like a you know recruiting happening with uh, Snakebite. Uh, yeah, Snakebite. Or what was what was her name? Andy. Yeah, Andy. Snakebite Andy. Yeah. yeah, and that scene in the movie theater was fucking awesome that was you know? bad as shit like fucking pedophile get the fuck out of here that, that i love how I just, she was using it for someone who deserved it yeah you know like, i love when crow's like you know like she's like okay big deal like he she told him to sleep and he's like hold on it gets better she pulls out the knife and everything i thought that was fucking bad yeah it's like you can explain the money missing but you can't explain this yeah <laughs> <laughs> fucking awesome um, and even seeing them, uh, like, I think we, the scene actually you're talking about in the trailer, I think for all the first two was her turning her into a true part of the true. Knot. Yes. It wasn't her taking steam. It was giving the steam. Yes. To turn her in, to turn her, so to say. And then at the same time, you see what Danny's dealing with as, you know, living on the street. He's an alcoholic, um, having a rough time of it. Right. After his mom died, because part of his thing with the shine is he can see people dying. He can see the death around them. The black flies. And, the, and he talks about how he sees his mom and her face was full of black flies and he couldn't even look at her. And like, and his mom knew it. And it's like, can you imagine like you're about ready to die and your kid can't even look at you? <laughs> yeah. Fuck, dude. That's terrible. Yeah. So then we see him just leave. I mean, didn't he steal money from like a chick who had th- just thrown well, it Well, he started and, to. I mean, it was... Uh... It doesn't show him put it back. No. doesn't show him put the money back. Yeah, it doesn't. Yeah. All right. Yeah. He was kind of a piece of shit. <laughs> his conscience and his guardian Shut angel up. tell him to put it back. But... but did she steal from him? She did, but also child in diapers. Come on, man. Like... Hey, that kid's better off than the kid from Breaking Bad, all right? <laughs> and it's not like he didn't get any benefit out of his money. She stole it to buy cocaine, and you they were both shooting rails up. It was great. And then he got some ass. I mean, he, he yeah. got something for it. 
He had a hell of a night. <laughs> Minus the puke thing, though. Now, what mm. what was up with that scene where he where he wakes up and um sees that she's like a zombie next to him with a dead kid? Like, yeah. So uh, if you notice in the uh, when he wakes up next to the woman in the apartment early on, she's covered in flies. And that's the sign. And that's why he throws up and goes, I got to get out of here. And uh, he walks out and then he sees the kid and forces it all. And uh, she, uh, that's why he has the vision later in bed when he's miles and miles away where she comes to him with the kid as well in tow. And they're both dead. And she goes, you knew I wasn't going to make it that night. And you left us there. They didn't find me for days. And it was too late for him. Yeah, I remember her. Whoops. It was kind of hard to understand her in that. Like, the voice effect they used wasn't. Yeah, super it was clear. not well executed, but that's exactly what happened. The novel makes it clear that that's what happened. Oh, uh, that's right. She yeah. was overdosing and he left her behind. So I'm fair- glad you're here because I never picked up on that one bit. Yeah, yeah, and I didn't really. I saw the puke, but I thought, you know, she got sick and she just puked. I mean, she was on her side. It's not like she was. It's not like Hendrix style or Morrison style where they're like laying on their back, you know? In a way, it's good that that's kind of convoluted for most casual viewers, I think, because that makes it one of the ugliest things I've ever seen in the movie. And it's uh, as bad as the baseball kid murder and as bad as what happens to the hat when she goes inside the kid's mind. Oh, yeah, we'll get we, we, we'll move on to that. Now, just but that's a very good point with that scene, because at that point, seeing that scene like your protagonist isn't really a protagonist. He is a villain. Yeah, at that point. He is. You know, he's a villain. He, he's just as bad as the true not. At that, I mean, different reasons, but same yep. thing. Uh, but yes, the the scene with the true knot going into uh, the kid's mind was fucking rad. So the true knot, oh. the head of the true knot is a super strong, and just as this kid, uh, Abby. Yeah. Wait. Ab- Abra. 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 Yeah, Abra. I was gonna say that's very right. cute, Stephen King. Yeah, we get it. Yeah, Abra. Proceed is another magic show. Yeah. yeah. So Abra, she is like the strongest, even stronger than Danny, because Danny Torrance, you know when he was young was super strong and it was uh, that's why the, sh- the hotel was so terrible for him because they were just like oh hey what's this and it woke everything up you know and um the, just seeing those two battle at other and how that girl just kicked her ass like twice oh, <laughs> the scene fucking, in the grocery store was oh, badass it was fucking rad man like yeah um and then but when she like i guess i guess force projects herself is what you can kind of call it it's like almost like superpower almost like the force yeah, she like force projects herself to the girl's house, and she's in her, but she's in her mind. And like when she slams her hand on the drawer, because it shows the mind. Everyone files things away in, in either a box or a filing cabinet. So she's digging through there, being nosy in the girl's mind, looking through the filing cabinet. And the girl tricked her and slams the door in her, the drawer on her fucking hand, and like, oh, then gets into her mind, the girl, the woman in the hat's mind, and starts digging around. Oh, that, her pulling that fucking hand out of the drawer, dude. Uh, yeah, it was a nice little callback to uh, Mike Flanagan's earlier movie, Gerald's Game, where like there's an absolutely brutal degloving scene that is nearly impossible for anybody to sit through and watch. And sure enough, that same practical effect returns as we watch the hat get degloved inside the kid's mind. Uh, oh, it was so gross. I, I love how it played out, though, because she shows up. She's over. She's cocky. She's done this so many times. Well, I'm just gonna pick apart. Uh, oh, you left these files here for me to go through in your brain, and doesn't realize. Oh no, this no. isn't like anybody no, else no, you've no, dealt no. with before. And she had a warning. I mean, the bitch blew her out of the fucking way in the grocery store. Like, yeah, you didn't think it was gonna be this easy, did you? Yeah, because she even says like, I've never felt anybody that strong before, and it's like ever. No one's ever been able to beat me. It's like, so why would you think it'd be a fucking cakewalk? Yeah. Like, how dumb are you? you like, the, hubris. Hubris is a, the fall of every man slash woman. That's why later the crow, crow's like, you know, you're not coming. You're, you're a liability at this point. Yeah, yeah. Truth. Yeah, so this gives me a chance to talk about how great the villains are in this. Because when I read Dr. Sleep, I thought that was like some F-tier villains from Stephen King. They're terrible in the book. They are weak antagonists. They're too old. They're too weary to do anything strong. And he's a guy who's given us villains like Carrie White, Christine... Pennywise, they're just iconic, and these guys were just terrible. The film, however, turns them into absolute badasses who are a joy to watch, especially the hat. Yeah. We brought up right before we start recording, Crow, who I just brought up, dude from Fargo Season 2, who was badass in that show, and he's badass here. And it was comforting, because I was like, all right, I, last time I remember him, he was just kicking ass and taking names in the show. Here he shows up in this movie, and is just as badass. Yeah, he he was. I mean, and and also like how he was a tracker. Yeah, which yeah. he was. I mean, in Fargo, he was a tracker slash yeah. murderer. Like he was the one I'm gonna track you. 
get you in ways of quiet spot and stab and stab the fuck out of you. Mm. Um, he was a, the villains were definitely awesome in, in all of them. I mean, you had the older guy. So okay, we talked about places, you know, other things the actors have been in. So we've got rehashes, two at rehashes from Gerald's game. He used the guy who played the Moon Man um, as the as what, what was his name, Cliff? Yeah, the grandpa. The grandpa. And then you had the, the runner of the AA. He was Gerald in Gerald's game. Yep. So they kind of rehashed some some actors there, which is pretty cool. And so, you know, directors like their actors. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I won't um, complain. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, so the way everything builds up in this, uh, just it's it's all paced so well, right? Like them talking on the chalkboard, like they're both really strong in the shine, and like him talking with Abra. Danny, I mean, and like they're, they're like basically pen pals on this chalkboard, right? And how like she finds him. That's how strong she was. She like was able to find him. And um, it kind of shows like he found his own, his redemption his own way with the hospice thing, which was, that's I think where I got the insomnia thing from. Yeah. Because he was like that cat reminded me kind of of one of, of the little doctors with the scissors that cut the aura lifeline off of an insomnia in yep. that book. Because the cat knew when you, and I feel like that was in something else too. Besides Doctor Sleep, a cat that would show up when people were getting ready to die. Am I? Is that something else, Stephen King? I, I remember that from something else. It's entirely possible. It's a huge universe, and <laughs> he true. loves repeating and returning to stuff. That's and that's fun. That's funny strikes for everybody though. But yeah, so he goes to work at the hospice, and you know the cat goes. Somebody's gonna die, and he goes and spends the last time with them, and they die. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the pacing in this movie is incredible. It could be easily said that it's way too long. It's two and a half hours, and it doesn't, and it's three different stories all at once, but you know they're going to eventually intersect, and it's amazing how it keeps those stories all propelling forward. Yeah, I was definitely a little worried about the running time. I had, had read the book, so I was like, uh, let's see. But yeah, I thought the pacing was really good. I was kind of like, oh man, they're still, they still haven't gotten here yet or done this yet, and I'm like... I hope they have time. I was more like, are they going to have enough time? Because once you get past two hours, like, all right, you you got to earn it. Yeah. Yeah. You earn Truth. it. Well, the book is incredibly long, and Mike yeah. Flanagan did an amazing job excising a lot of the subplots that didn't really work very well from the book. Um, thank God it did not go to visit the diseased older woman and have Danny try to capture her steam. That was terrible. It was much better to turn that segment into an action sequence where he and his buddy fight the true knot with guns. And that worked very, very well. And thank God our introduction to Abra was brief, quick, and to the point. It was very cool to see her launch all of the family's spoons at the roof when she was just a wee little thing. Yeah. Whereas in the book, she predicts 9-11, and it's bad in the book. Whoa! Yeah, it's not good. Really? It's real bad. It, yeah, it's, it's bad. Not good. Wow. Okay, the spoons are much more... The spoons uh, are way better. Yeah. more subtle, right? A little more, a little more <laughs> a subtle. A lot more deft. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, um, yeah, so basically, like, she's having a birthday party, and the, the magician can't find the spoons, but he put them, like, hanging from his hands and on, hanging from his nose, and Abra's like, I can do that. I know magic. And then, like, the parents go in the house, and they're just hanging from the fucking ceiling. You're like, Jesus Christ. Okay, girl, go with your bad self. One of my favorite just images in this in this movie was when baseball kids getting killed and Abra just freaks the fuck out and sends a psychic blast and chalkboard gets cracked. Red rum. And red rum, almost exactly the way Danny wrote it on that door. Fucking gnarly. It just cracked. I, I love that fucking image. Yeah, fucking awesome. Yeah, the, uh, the visuals in this movie are fantastic. I hate the trailers, and I worry that people aren't going to want to watch it after that because A, the plot looks stupid from the trailers, and B, it looks to be of like made-for-TV movie quality, like it has like that sort of lo-fi Hulu or Netflix fuzz. It doesn't. It's beautifully made. I agree. It's like Inception-esque as far as some of the shots you get. Like It's fucking beautiful. Can I just thank the director for not going the route that most people do these days and just being lazy and CGIing actors' faces and just recasting them. We were talking about it, you know. You're not going to get Shelley Duvall, but the chick they had... Perfect. Perfect. She doesn't. She didn't look that much like her, but God damn, you close your eyes, she sounded just like that. How did she do that? Like, Danny? Yeah. Oh, my God! 
on, Daddy. When she's like, all right, Doc, let's do I was like, God damn. It was like dead on. The mannerisms, yeah. the way she sounded. And everybody, you know, they didn't attempt to CG someone's face, you know. They just recast it and just wear the same outfit, go the same beats, and it worked. Uh, same thing with the, the Scatman Crothers character. Yeah. That dude, I mean, clearly he doesn't. He looks close enough to him, but he sounds a lot like him. Um, we, we most people that watch Shining are familiar. You don't have to do that. Just give us the character. That's all we need. Yep, exactly. Yeah, and it even worked well for Lloyd Jack Torrance at the end. The hairline is the same, but he doesn't recognize his own son. He doesn't know what's going on. He has fully become that character stuck in the Overlook Hotel with no memory of where he's been. Etc. Um, so I thought that worked very, very well to not try some creepy de aging of Jack Nicholson or yeah. yeah, yeah, and he didn't even try to do the voice. That's that that I was worried about, you know. No, yeah. And this movie uses precious little CGI, and what it does, it uses it very, very well. I thought Rose the Hats flying looked great, mm-hmm. as did every time they drank steam. That looked that was actually very like just almost beautiful when they drank steam, except for the whole like their eyes when they were actually feeding. Yeah, blue that like did sh- like. Cat's eye, it almost cats like yeah. when you hit a cat with light, like yeah. that kind of thing. It was awesome. And then the way when they when the tree knot died, that was pretty solid CGI. I was gonna say that dude looked kind of skeletorish already. So yeah. when he died, then his face is just sinking in, and he just looked more and more like a skeleton. Mm-hmm. That was fucking awesome. Yeah, that was, that was pretty fucking rad. Yeah, they they did a great job with that. Only using it where they needed it, and that's what you're supposed to do with CGI. Yeah, all the all the little details worked out very, very well that well. I wanted to take a second to talk about the costuming as well in that department. In the book, Rose the Hat's hat is ridiculous. It's really off-putting because it sounds like it's that hat that the lady wore in the What's Up video for four non-blondes. Oh, ridiculous, God. tall, oh, silly. God, God how, they're trying to blend in as people in RVs crossing the country. How would you not stand out in a crowd with that? But here it was perfect. She looked like an interesting hippie-ish chick when she's just walking around. But when she goes into full crazy mode with the eyes, she kind of looked like a Lady Babadook. Kind of, yeah, yeah. actually. Yeah. I, I, can we say the actress that played her was fucking knocked out of the park? Oh, yeah, dude. Killer, man. Like, the, going from sweet and sultry to just murderous, like, like with the turn of a hat. <laughs> Get it? Because she yeah. has a hat. Yeah, <laughs> yeah Rebecca Ferguson. Oh, man. Hobbit's not even around. Come on. <laughs> yeah, Rebecca Ferguson tends to steal the show and everything she's in, and she certainly does here. I, I can't agree more. Like, she definitely, perfect casting for that. To make something out of that character. For one, right. to bring that character to life. Because like you said, in the book, I give two fucks about anything to do with them. Aside a, from like, you know. It's a shit tier character in the book. Exactly. And she made it absolutely menacing, seductive, and interesting all at the same time. And she was so good that I almost felt bad for her when she stepped into Abra's mind. Yeah. <laughs> almost. Because <laughs> she almost. totally deserved it. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't feel bad after that that baseball. I, I know I keep saying the baseball kid scene, but goddamn, that shit that shit fucked with me. All right, Seriously. it was hard, dude. That was he's like... just screaming. Yeah. So yeah, no. After that, no, fuck her. She yeah. can go into that and get fucked with. All right, her <laughs> yeah. can get fucked up. I don't care. No, dude, it was a hard scene, man. Like I said, like not, it's not <laughs> like you just once you see them take the steam and that's it. It's like they're just showing them dig in and cut them up and like just oh god, dude. Yeah, it's harsh. And it, it's like what, what's what's the uh, what's um the friend's name said like no, they're not human. There's no way you you get you to a, a fucking boy and and you know, still be human. No, they're not fucking human. Like, cause you you don't do that to a kid. <laughs> I will say the one thing it was very predictable without reading the book is uh, when uh, Snake Bite gets shot. You knew as soon as his friends walking over, like, okay, this dude's uh... fucking dead. Uh, like, go shoot yourself. Like, I knew that was like, like when literally Danny's like, stay the fuck away, and yeah. his friends like, no, it's, it should be good. It's fine. By the way. How fucking weak are these people that, like, a bullet takes them out? Because some of the characters get shot in the head. Yeah, if y'all can help explain if this is related to the book. Yeah, in the book it explains they're very weak. Uh, and they're not all people with powers. They're not all entities from um, the midworld. Some of them are just regular people that they've recruited for a strategic advantage. They used to like billionaires and titans of industry, most of whom were very old and at the end of their lifespan. Grandpa was the norm in the book, not the exception. They were barely able-bodied, and they snuck around as elderly retirees and um rvs okay yeah and the way it looks like they kind of altered that in the movie is with keeping into that is they they've they were always very human just, yeah just like danny just because you have the shine doesn't make you uh you know immortal or you know impervious to bullets 
So you shoot them in the fucking head, they're gonna die. Well, I understand <laughs> that, but I'm talking about a couple of the motherfuckers took bullets in the shoulder and they're fucking started. No, mel- so that there was a second shot behind that. All right, I'm just saying it looked like a couple of them just took a few bullets and I was like, First, God damn. Um, two or three, they got shot in the shoulder and then they immediately either got a gut shot or immediately after a head shot. Yeah. I was looking at that. I'm like, nah, motherfucker. I better not see you I, dust off. I just expect, you know, uh, Reservoir Dogs, you know, you can bleed out for a while and have that. Nope. With them, it's two shots and done. I mean, they were all, he was, they were also both knew how to shoot a gun. The one dude was a hunter. That's true. So I'm sure, you, you know, that when you saw it go in the chest area, it's probably a heart shot. Yeah. <laughs> Which will kill you pretty much instantly. Just to give you an idea of how weak they are in the book, in that same sequence where Danny wipes out most of the true knot, um, they don't take guns and they don't take his friend. He takes the doctor from town and they infect all of them with steam that has measles in it. And they begin dying immediately because they are so elderly and their immune systems are so compromised that they just start dropping like flies from measles on the spot. Insta-measles. So in the book, if you want a good comparison of the weakness of the character... Imagine the Skeksis been in a Stephen King universe. There you go. Just All weak right. and fragile and like useless, basically. Like, yeah. I mean, they 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 need to feed, but they're they're they don't really they're not scary. They're not like you know. <laughs> Which later on, when uh, Dabra, I'll call it, uh, <laughs> takes out Crow with yeah. the uh, "You're so cock, you're not even wearing your seatbelt." I thought that was fucking awesome. And I'm gonna call again. Dabra. <laughs> yeah, because Danny and Abra. Yeah, because that, that. So after the whole, you know. They, so basically, they planned a trick when uh, the whole tree not followed them to this location in the woods, murdered pretty much all the true not except for Crow and Woman in the Hat. Then I don't know how the cr- Crow did he project himself or was he projected in the van? Like, how did he get to her, Abra? In the film, he just went on his own. It sounded like it but seemed like he, he didn't get fooled by yeah the, he her didn't image. fall for the yeah. He, it sounded like they ran two operations, which would have been the smart well, thing. He goes in alone to the house to scope it out in case she's there and it's a trap. The rest of the true not goes in case she actually is there. Well, did Hat tell him specifically? You go to the house. Everybody else follow her. Like you know, if if for some reason they don't capture her, take out the dad and go from there. Well, I'm just saying I, when she goes and projects herself into the vehicle, Crow's driving. Yeah. At the time, anyway. And that was in the van, not the RV, which they took, to, which is what they took. So I guess that was the, the, the tell, is when she went and checked who was with who, everyone was in the van but Hat. So when they showed up, they were in the RV and not the van. That was probably the tell, like, hey, this isn't the same vehicle. Yeah. Then he needs to, he's off somewhere else. That, they did give you a tell, and yep. I, just didn't, I just didn't catch it when I was watching it. Fair enough. This cool. is definitely a second viewing. Uh, oh, yeah, I can't yeah. wait. Holy fuck, are you kidding me? I'm looking forward to seeing it again she, as well. Oh, God, I'm so ready to see it. And then she, they, so they drugged her, is what Crow did. He drugged her where it kills, it kills the shine or the steam, as the, as they call it. And Danny can barely hear her. And then he shine projects himself <laughs> into the into the vehicle, the van, and at, is able to merge into her mind and take over. And that was a rad scene. Well, he, it looks like he kind of built some confidence in himself. Because oh, he does, yeah, because that's where he's like, I need to listen. I need to just listen. Listen, because she obviously was using utilizing more of her steam than he was, and that was the time like she's in danger. I'm gonna have to like turn this shit up to eleven. Yep. Well, that's his redemption arc through the thing. His shine is a curse at the beginning when we see him. He's haunted as a kid by the woman from room two thirty seven showing up in his house. He's haunted by his twinges of conscience and spirits telling him to do the right thing. And then finally he starts working in the hospice, helping people cross over. That thing's a muscle that he's been flexing for a while. And he finally realizes it's time to just listen to it instead of trying to shut it off. Yep. And then it was it was go time for it was go time from that. Like once he once that scene happened where he, he listened, it was just like you just saw him get stronger and stronger and stronger all the way through the end of the movie. It was awesome. Do you think that's where he built the confidence where he he knew the only way to defeat Hat was, you know, well taking him to the it hotel. Was, it was so that, this is where we go after you know he did that. They you know they killed that in in doing that and merging with Abra, they kill Crow. That only leaves Hat, and from there they go to the Overlook now. I think the main reason, because he kind of he kind of has like a couple like a one sentence about or two sentences about why we need to go there, he has all that shit locked away, and the shot and that hotel is like a magnet with people that have the shine. So you've got Hat who clearly has shine. You've got Abra, and now you've got Danny all going into this just cancer ridden infested ghost hotel 
Like, th- yeah, I mean, he it just he, he, he kind of sold it as like she's absorbed all the backup fucking steam she had. Yeah. So I mean, the only way to really defeat her at this point is get her to the overlook. Is he, that is that wrong? That's yeah, how well, I, I kind he, of interpret he it. He didn't know that she absorbed all that. Well, all he knew is that the only way to I think beat her was let the hotel have her. Okay. So that's what I'm saying. The hotel is a secret weapon in this and not the, and not potentially the enemy, not for the overall story. There is a good scene where Danny, it's a personal enemy for Danny that he, that there is a scene that he deals with. Yeah. He had no idea that she drank the steam and got super mega powerful at the end. Um, But he did know from messing with her before that her powers far exceed those of his and Abra side by side. They can pull parlor tricks on her, but like she's not some old guy that they recruited in Roman times for his money. She's something far more horrible and she's already intimated that to them. And that's why it's like time to drag her there. And he's got two ideas. Number one, trap her in the box or number two, feed her to the hotel. If that doesn't work. Yep. (laughs) And and we, you know, and I love the scene when they finally get there. Um, So this is, this is F you hunter. We're kind of talking about this prior to this. What, that's where you get like the, the hard throwback to The Shining where it's like there's about four to five shots they pan through. So they don't do the whole opening scroll from it's pretty The close. Shining. It's pretty close. I mean, that was a long opening scroll, but there's like four or five scenes before they get to the Overlook. They did condense it, but they were shot for shot at night, the yeah. intro to The Shining. And that, Fucking beautiful. Oh, man. As soon as, as soon as you know where they're heading... And you get that that trombone. What that is that same, trombone? That music, yeah, that whatever same that is. opening. You get the opening score from The Shining, and that camera view of over the lake, and then following the road, going through the tunnel in the mountain, literally oh. shot for shot. Except it's oh. at night. So and good. If you're a fan of The Shining, God, it, that that scene gives you fucking chills. It it did. I, I mean, it's a great oh. way of just saying, "And we're back, baby. Like yeah. we're going back there." Yeah. It was great because it recreated the world of The Shining, but also did a good job of remixing it into something new. My favorite callback of The Shining was when Rose the Hat walks by the elevators pouring blood (laughs) and just kind of laughs at it and doesn't get scared because she's a horrible monster from another dimension. She doesn't care. Truth. That is true. What's so sad about that is I, I enjoy that scene, but every time I see that scene, I just go... Sorry, back to the Simpsons when they're there. And it's like, that's funny. The blood usually goes on the second floor. Like, so that blood scene, like, she had the same reaction that Mr. Birds did. Like, that's supposed to happen on the other floor. Yeah. Well, she kind of is a Monty Burns. She's thousands of years yeah. old, incredibly rich, and preys on children. To oh. There you go. So, once they get there, like, he wants her to stay in the hotel because he, does, he doesn't want her to have to deal with. What he knows is about to happen in, inside the Overlook because she's even stronger than he is. But I love how he just goes through and wakes up, literally wakes up the hotel. First place he goes. Now, um, when we get to the very end, I'm going to circle back to this. First place he goes is the boiler room. All right. Turns everything on. You just see him turning on power, turning on the boiler. Now, for those who have not read either book, that is not such a big deal. But for those who have read the book, it is. So I will circle back to that. And then you just see him walk through like all the haunts, like the boarding quarters, where you know the family was staying at, and the door, and the red rum, and all that awesome shit. Like I was gonna say uh, for the for the non book reader uh, here, yeah, it it made sense. It's just like he's just turning everything on, like yeah. so it wasn't like that stuck out. Like why is he in there? Like it, he's just like getting everything ready to go. Like almost yeah. kind of waking up the hotel Ex- in a way. Exactly, no, yeah. exactly what he was doing. Yeah. And then he ends in the lounge with the same song playing. Oh God. And he walks up, and instead of Lloyd, who do we have? We have Jack Torrance. But it's the Overlook, looking like Jack Torrance, doesn't recognize his son. And that is probably, of all the powerful scenes that Ewan McGregor did dealing with his sobriety and being living in fear and all that stuff, That his face and how he reacted to just basically his dad, what he's, was his, you know, being the drunken asshole part of his dad. Like, Oh God. Just the fact that he kept calling him Mr. Torrance yeah, too. Yeah. was such a, again, just a flashback to the original. He's yeah. like, Oh, Mr. Torrance. They kept saying it. And you're like, this is the kid right around on the fucking, you know, uh, bike. And the first one is now Mr. Torrance. Well, I mean, you did, you did catch the whole speech he gave was the same thing. He told Lloyd in the, in the yep. shining. Yeah. Where he's like, the kid and they just all these mouths and man, 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 man. He's just bitching about his fucking family. The only thing that changed was 
they added the thing from the ending when he went crazy and he's at the very end uh in in when the scene in dr sleep jack asked danny the ghost of the overlook looking looking like jack asked danny he's like are you ready to take your medicine and i was like oh <laughs> damn dude that's because that was the huge saying and that was a huge uh very scary because jack nicholson is an amazing psychotic person breakdown acting ability thing uh when he says that in the in the original shining it's fucking haunting yeah yeah uh, in the book that was a huge line in the book that comes up a lot in the book actually uh in in the shining that taking the medicine thing that comes up a lot yet it leads to probably the most human triumph in the whole movie when danny looks right at his dad and goes i inherited everything from you the alcoholism the madness but i'm choosing not to be like you and throws the glass away mic drop <laughs> like, pow! Pow! You're like, fuck you, bro. Yeah. Now, um, I love that line where, like, he's like, Jack Daniels. No, that that's what, uh, yeah, that that's what I uh, used to drink. I remember seeing the bottle in the house all the time. I remember I opened it up and it smelled like fire, and I, oh, I guess it kind of was. I'm like, oh, that was a foreshadowing right there. <laughs> a little bit of foreshadowing. Also, it is charcoal infused, so it does smell like burning. And also, it was a fire that kept burning the family up and inside Jack Torrance. There was a whole lot. That one line, I, I took so much from that one line. Message. Yeah. <laughs> Messages, <laughs> people. Message. Um, and then from there, I mean, it, it led right into the hat showing up because she, what do you say? Uh, how did he describe it? He's like, hey, when you see her come around the mountain, uh, You'll know, like, shout, yeah. at, shout at me. Is that what? Yeah. I think that's yeah. what he called it. Um, and so she shouted at him from outside because the, the shining. And then... um. The final battle ensues, and oh man, you were just in the Overlook just long enough. Like the last, I think it was only like a twenty minutes of the movie, and it was just enough. That was yeah, it, it's all it, you needed. You get him walking through, turn everything on, talking to dad bartender, and then she shows up, and you had that final battle, and it was great. Like the timing was perfect. Yeah, the battle's really, really well pitched because it shows up with the hat with a head full of steam, pun totally intended, <laughs> and she is confident, she's ready to take these two apart, and then realizes very, very quickly, as she's sucked into Danny's mind, she might be in over her head here. Yeah, I remember because when she gets when she was able to break out, when she he, they almost had her in a box, one of Danny's boxes, but she able to she broke out, and then she's like, and who? How have we missed you all these years? Like she was impressed. Yeah, like, like she was highly impressed by Danny. I, I knew those boxes were going to come into play. Like the beginning of the movie, we kind of just kind of jumped over it. But that's how he was as you know as a child able to survive was boxing up everybody that was going after him from the you know the Overlook Hotel. Yeah, because uh, the Scatman, the 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 ghost of Scatman Carruthers' character basically said like, um, you know, when you box him up and like. He asked, like, what happens to them? They just die? And he's like, does it really matter? And like, <laughs> oh. But here's where the other throwback comes in, is once she breaks out of Danny's mind and back to the reality, and then, like, they start the actual physical battle. Once I up the staircase, which was fucking So many Jack, callbacks. Right? Oh. That was the ultimate scene. That shot of Jack Nicholson saying, give me the bat, Wendy. Give me the bat. Give me the bat. I didn't say I was going to hurt you. I'm just going to bash your brains in. That's one of the... God damn it, it's so good. Fucking Jack Nicholson. <laughs> anyway, they, they're, they're really having a fight with an axe. He chops her in the shoulder. She grabs it and chops him in the leg. And as soon as that happened, I was like, he's going to be fucking limping, just like daddy. It's going to be awesome. Oh, and then from her there to her putting her fucking thumb oh, in God the wound and getting that sweet, oh. sweet steam coming out of him. <laughs> like, that's the best way I can describe it. Because as soon as she puts that fucking thumb in that hole and he screams in pain and that little steam, she's like, what is some good shit? Like, that sweet, sweet Yeah, that steam. sweet, sweet steam, baby. Yeah, and you see the blood just splurting out of the yeah. hole. Oh, God oh, damn But it. she kept doing it over and over. Oh, so gross. And then I love how, this is where the boxes come into play, right? Where... She's, she's like, oh, there's something else in there with you. What is that? She's like excited. She's like thinking it's more. It's more. She's going to get even more because junkies basically. Yeah, exactly. She got know. a little taste. Yeah. She wants it all. And then he's like, they're starving. And then goosh, every single fucking ghost he boxed up just unleashes. And bye-bye, hat. <laughs> yeah, that's what you get for being an F-tier antagonist who's totally weak as hell uh, and totally overconfident. Yeah, the twins are stronger than you. No Sorry. Shit. Every like single... <laughs> Everything we saw from that first shining is right there. Yeah. And they are all together there to fuck up the hat. So you so see good. everybody. You see the twins. You great see party. Grady. Yeah, yeah, great party, that great guy. Party. Um you see uh the couple. Um didn't you see the dude in the bear suit? I was yes. yeah. yeah. It was he there? Okay. Um who else? Oh the, the shower lady, two thirty seven, she was yep. there. 
Uh, it was so sweet. And they're just sucking all the steam out. And there's a scene the where... The twins' dad yeah. was there, too. Twins da- yeah, the twins' dad. And they're sucking... And one of them has a hand on her cheek. It's almost going into her cheek. It was fucking awesome. Yeah, it was. Oh, God, it was a great scene. Yeah. Oh, it's so good. And then they're like... I like how they just stop and they just all look at Danny, with, but with the shining eyes. That blank, pale eye. And, and then twins walk up. It's like, come play with us, Danny. Like, oh, damn it. Come on, man. <laughs> Fucking kill me with this. And like, then they all attack him. And then what do we get? What I, what I was hoping for with the fucked up leg, we get Danny being Jack, running down the halls of the Overlook with a fucking axe, limping his ass off. It's almost like his outfit was already set up that way, too, because he has yeah. the flannel with the jeans, almost like, yeah. like he accidentally wore the exact close enough outfit to what his dad wore as he's limping around with an axe in the hotel. Well, that's that's the particular ghost the Overlook uses when they he takes over Danny is he's basically Jack Torrance that's right. ghost. But I'm saying, I'm just saying Danny accidentally wore pretty close <laughs> to the same outfit that his dad did when he was on the murderous rage, you know. Can we say how like once he finds Abra, once he's possessed by the Overlook, she runs to room 237, of course. When I saw yeah. her room, I'm like, oh, this is 237. Yep. And then, like, I like how she sees the woman in the tub, and she starts to get up. And she's like, try it. <laughs> she's like, try it. I'm like, damn. All right. Yeah, I love the confidence from both of them at that. Danny is so confident as well that he lets the hotel take him over. And he's still driving. He was. He was driving the whole yep. way because he, he pulls himself out. And he's like, I thought I told you to leave. Right. Yep. And oh, that was just gonna... stops mid swing, being like, "Nope, you're not as strong as I am because I've chosen not to be like you." Exactly. And then she runs out, and he lets it take back over. And they, of course, he let he lets him take him to the boiler room because he. So here's the thing. Back to the boiler room. The very like pretty much made most major important last major important uh, scene in the movie. Uh, in the book, The Shining, the Overlook's already destroyed. Essentially. Jack sets the boiler up, to, and he makes sure that it blows up and has all the ghosts in there, and it, it blows up, which is what they went with with the Maver TV bullshit. Mm. I, I, I do yeah, like the let, ending of the book well, better. Let's, let's not go there. I do like the ending of the book better than what we got, I, but that wouldn't have worked with Kubrick's vision, so what we got with the Kubrick movie made sense for what we got from Kubrick. So, Well, okay, again, as a, not a book reader, so how did they incorporate, if that happens in The Shining, into Doctor Sleep? They, they, they don't really make a nod of it, as far as... Yeah, it's, it's interesting. The movie departs wildly from the continuity of Dr. Sleep and for the better, because in Dr. Sleep, in the book, um, Jack Torrance makes a final gesture to save his family and pull himself up out of the spiral, and the hotel blows up. Yep. In this, in Dr. Sleep, they return to the site of the Overlook ruins because he has a feeling his dad's ghost is still kicking it there and can help him out. And there is redemption for Jack Torrance yet again in Dr. Sleep, the novel. He ends up punt kicking Rose off of a cliff to her doom and possibly all the way back into Midworld. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's Dirty not bitch. alluded to as to which happens. And then, of course, Jack and Danny share a family bonding moment. The ghost of Jack's shadow waves to Danny and Danny waves back. It's more touching yeah. than it sounds like, but it's not great. No, I've read it and it is touching, but also I like this ending better. I like I how too. I was going to say, just from y'all describing it. Eh, gotta yeah. give props to the director, well, man. That's a that huge blending nod. This. Yeah, that's a huge blend he did, right? Like when you so when I saw him go in and turn the turn on everything and turn the boiler on, I'm like, oh, they're actually going to use it in this one. Fucking a. Knowing that this movie really worked hard, I think, to almost satisfy both the book readers and the movie watchers the of the shiny. Yeah, because yep. you've got so much of the psychic battles, the steam, but then you also get. Overlook, which again would have been taken away if they followed the the book. Yeah, awesome. Exactly. Yeah, everybody who's asked me about how this film has gone, I've told them it is by far the best Stephen King adaptation I've ever seen. That doesn't mean it's the best movie made from a Stephen King film, but it is certainly the truest to his vision, universe, etc., and also the most coherent anybody's done with those parameters. And also. I'm sure everyone here can agree, but also uh, one thing I didn't see King mention about how much he loves this movie is he wouldn't have had the movie go the way it did if it wasn't for fucking Kubrick. Because Kubrick went originally, he would have blown the goddamn Overlook up in the first fucking movie. So, fuck you, King. Sorry, I love you, dude, but if it wasn't for Kubrick's movie, you wouldn't have gotten this version of Dr. Sleep. A great, great final act in Dr. Sleep. That would have been taken away. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The whole whole last 25 minutes would have been shit. It would have been shit. It would have been ruins, and I'm, that was a shitty ending to the book. I, yeah, I did it's not, not great. I did not like it. I did, yeah. Um, so then after that, what you get is that beautiful scene where they, where like he just is going to make sure that he 
the overlook's done. Like, and he sits down to die, but he sees the, the vision. He, he's visited by the vision of his mom, and now he can actually see her face. And there's that, that pan out shot of young it's, Danny it's and his mom. It's a great mom. shot. Oh, God, right in the feels. Right in the fucking feels. And then, boosh, done. Bye-bye, Overlook. So fucking good, <laughs> man. Oh, what a way to end, like, that. Oh, so good. Yeah, and it's even, it's amazing, too, the, the final coda, which is a lovely speech from Danny about going on, using your shine to do well, learning early on how you can control it and make the world a better place, and that's awesome. Pressing her into the fight against future antagonists as well, leaving the door wide open to revisit Abra's life. But then we see Abra go into the bathroom at the end with more confidence than Danny ever had, being like, nope. I ain't having a single ghost haunt me and I'm going to have no trauma or problems. Exactly. That was refreshing to see. <laughs> that was awesome. Yeah. I would say the little speech before that was kind of, was kind of dead. That's the only part of the movie I could probably say I could done without shine on Abra shine on and fuck off, man. Come yeah. I'm waiting was... for the Pete Floyd song to just start kicking in. <laughs> like, come on. I just liked it because it basically said that like made you the audience aware of all of the other monsters of the King universe and tied it all together because there were a couple of neat little nods to people who are hardcore Stephen King readers in here. I know everybody said like Frank Darabont and Rob Reiner are his biggest fans. No way. Mike Flanagan has to be because at one point um, he heard cause a wheel from one of the ghosts that visits him. And then at that, he also mentioned that there's other antagonists out there who are just like the true knot. Some from this world, some from others. That's that little tidbit gave me goosebumps as an avid king reader. Like, like oh, it's just rich, and there's and there's other Easter eggs that that I could mention. There are other Easter eggs that I'm sure I'll see more in the second viewing because I'm sure I missed yeah missed a ton. Oh God, but that when he says that, it's like cause a wheel and you you owe a debt. I'm like motherfucker. <laughs> so badass. I was like, uh, someone has ventured beyond the planes of this world. You mean which? I mean, The Shining is heavily, especially Doctor Sleep, influenced by the Dark Tower. So, I mean, it makes sense that that pops up. Can we just throw out there in the last what two to three years, Stephen King adaptations have been fucking kicking ass. Which leads, I'm just yeah. saying, wow. Like, I mean, like you know, you look back at the '80s. And some of that yeah, stuff. Terrible. Yeah, listen to last, last Beautiful Disasters episode. It was on exactly, trucks. Yeah. trucks. Well, 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 that's 90s. But still, yeah. I'm just saying, like, if you think about between the two It movies, uh, the stuff on uh, the Netflix. Netflix, and now yeah. this, like, goddamn. Yeah, it's, it's been interesting to watch the evolution of it because back in the 80s, it was a product. Stephen King's a best-selling author, so we're going to assign some Hollywood director who just doesn't get it to make something for a network show or like a mediocre movie. But I think now we have people adapting them who have read the books, care about the books, and really get it. So in the near future, we have we hopefully have some redemption coming with the Dark Tower series on Netflix. I mean, on, on Amazon Prime. It's coming out on Prime. And then we have the stand. I forget. I think CBS has that, which I'm a little worried about that being on a local type of channel com- company. We'll give and it a chance. We'll give I'll, it a I'll chance. I'll watch it. I'm definitely going to watch It's the fucking stand. Is that on CBS streaming or regular CBS? I do not know that. That's, I don't know if they announced that. That's kind of a big thing. I don't know if they announced that. If it's on streaming, they could do a lot more. Yeah. And then we also have a Long Walk adaptation in, in, in production. I know which, you've been hyping that ooh, shit up. Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, there's still... And that's just but what's been released yet. There's still more... Come down the pike with King stuff. I mean, I just I just see it. So um, yeah. So that's that that's uh, the movie in a nutshell. I mean, we we there's so many visual things that happen in that movie. We can't really describe. I it. I swear. I mean, we would sound. No, I mean, I would probably sound fucking stupid if I tried to describe some of the visuals in that movie because it is a beautiful just, fucking movie. Just go see it. Go see it, yeah. man. But um, we're not what done. You, what would you what would you rate it? Oh, that's at the rating. Yeah. Ah. Um, oh, dude, I gotta give it a nine. See, I'll let you go first. Ironic shit. Yep, throw it at nine. What the fuck, dude? We, we, I mean, we got some weird shiny thing going yeah. on here, huh? Uh. <laughs> Even if I didn't like it, which I clearly did because I'm worried about Stephen King being mean to me on Twitter, I'm going to go with nine. Yeah, I mean, like I said, there are a few things in it that would keep it from being a ten, clearly, but god damn, it's, so, it's fucking good. Like, yeah. I, was, I was so sucked into that movie and just... I was worried uh. as not have, having read the book that there would be parts that I'd be like, oh, maybe read the book, you'll appreciate it more. No, there wasn't one single part of this movie that I, as a, as a huge fan again of The Shining, yeah, it delivered like a motherfucker. Yeah, fuck yeah, it did. Yeah. So, all right, guys. So we we all unanimously give it a nine. So that's that's definitely go fucking see it. All right. <laughs> Don't sleep on this movie. Ha. Ah, that's two. Ah, that's God, two. God yeah. damn. Yeah. You like that shit? Oh. Um, so if someone's got to take you know the dad jokes from like when Hobbit's not around, you know. Yeah. 
Um, but that's not it for the episode. Uh, first, I want to talk about our sponsors uh, before we get into our last little section of the uh, episode. So first and foremost, an oldest sponsor being Amazon.com. Basically, any Stephen King movie, any Stephen King book, you can find on Amazon. Yeah. If you haven't seen the original Shining or read the original Shining, go to GIPodcast.com. Go on the top right. Click links. Click on Amazon.com. It'll take you straight to the Amazon page. And we just get a little kickback. Once you log in, you shop like normal. We just get a kickback. Just search Shining, and all the Kubrick Shining will pop up. The main for TV miniseries will pop up. <laughs> Ew. Ew. I don't think I've ever heard your voice go to that. That's so bad, dude. That is the, it's so shitty, it changed your voice yeah, shitty. It's, That's, it's that wow. shitty. Yeah, it's yeah. terrible. Yeah, and, a case of the shittings. <laughs> it's a kick in the nuts. <laughs> case of the shittings. This <laughs> is fucking crust. And um, if any, like every Stephen King book ever is on Amazon. Please, if, but if you haven't read that, pick it up, read it. If not, just search Stephen King and read some of his other stuff. You will not be disappointed. Well, there are a few that will be disappointed. <laughs> yeah, careful. There's some, there's, some mid, there's some mid-90s to early 2000s stuff that's meh, not good. You know, but um, yeah. And then we just, like I said, we just get a little kickback. Nothing extra for you, just besides going through those couple extra steps, and it just helps us out. We and we greatly appreciate it. Second sponsor being T Public, and that's where all our merch is. We have merch that we do sell at live events. We have hats, koozies, and stickers. But you go to gypodcast.com, go to the top right, you'll see links. Click on links, then you'll see T Public. Click through T Public, it'll take you directly to our merch store. We have, I think, right now we still have 29 designs. There were some leftover from Halloween that I, I don't know exactly when we're going to pull those off, so it'll probably knock it down to about 26-ish. But um, we have 29 designs up. Every Damn. show under the network has their own yeah, logo it's up. It's getting towards that holiday season. Oh, yeah. we gotta get some, we got to get some Christmas stuff out, yeah. too. Yeah. So and It's getting chillier out there. Time to get some GUI uh, sweatshirts. Hoodies. Yep. Yeah, man. Do it. Um, I've got two. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And uh, then we have the main flagship, Keychain on the Influence, that has like about four or five designs. And then there's regular, there's random ones like Y'all Motherfuckers Need Odin, Fuck Michael Bay. Uh, yeah, there's a bunch of, bunch so of many. fun ones. Yeah. <laughs> uh, GUI. We just recently, we just recently early, in early October, got uh, Best Podcast in Richmond, Virginia. Oh, yeah. yeah I did. did hear something about that. So, but we have, a, we have a, one of the designs is the number one okayest podcast. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's just fun. Yeah. Um, so yeah, and I mean you can get it on shirts, long sleeves, hoodies, uh, sweatshirts, uh, stickers, banners, uh, magnets. I like your, I liked your banner, man. The banner, yeah, the banner's yeah. rad, right? Yeah, it, it's, yeah, yeah. And they have different sizes of banners. So if you don't mine, like I think I got the third largest, and it was just the right size. Uh, that would the other one would have been too big. Um, and then they have onesies, so you know you can always buy one for the you know the young little un, uh, under the influencers, um, the geeks, yeah, the young yeah. geeks. There we go. <laughs> Careful, steady, hey, steady. Did your mom never put whiskey on your gum when you were teething? No. Oh, okay. Not that I know of. Okay. Or she didn't. It should me. be noted that GUI does not endorse the viewpoints of the true knot. We do not endorse. No, we do <laughs> They're not. They're bad. Yeah, no. Do not suck the uh, lifeline of the children. Okay. <laughs> do not. Do not suck out the lifeblood of children. That isn't. That is wrong. As what's his face said, uh, the best I can't remember his fucking name. The best Dan's new friend in the movie was like, "They're not fucking human. Do that to a boy, they're not fucking human." Yeah, that's, that's verbatim what he said. So, <laughs> <laughs> all right. So that's our sponsors, and that leaves one one more segment, and of course that is Stump, the host. So Stump the host is rapid fire trivia where we ask the guest to bring six. Trivia questions plus a tiebreaker, and basically Hunter and I just go toe to toe and see who comes out swinging. Yeah, you know, right, we'll test see our horror knowledge, and uh, you know, the idea is, you know, hopefully you'll know these episodes. If not, uh, you know, now you do, and if you do know them and we don't, then you can just call us dumbasses through the radio or whatever your speakers are that you're listening to. <laughs> the radio, that's just in. They're yeah. dumbasses. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> ah, ah. Breaking news. <laughs> Deal, massive madness. You guys suck. <laughs> <laughs> Tune in. <laughs> yeah, tune in next week. See what happens. So, Mike, you get to decide which panelist goes first. I think we'll start with Hunter. He seems enthusiastic tonight. All right, bring it on. All right, here we go. Um, 
The documentary Room 237 features a lot of enthusiasts, you might call them, or you might call them kooks, giving popular theories and unpopular theories about what The Shining means and represents. Can you give us one of those theories presented in the documentary? Ooh, uh, that Kubrick uh, was responsible for filming the landing on the moon, and there's so many hints, apparently in the pantry, like... I don't know, like 30 fucking <laughs> hits of the pantry. Like, if you look at the can, there's... So, I do, I, do exactly I need to continue? Right. Or no, no you got that's it. That's, 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 <laughs> couldn't imagine you got that right, because I remember that is so... They're so Because that was stupid. the first one. They're like, if we look at the pantry, I was like, really? The fucking pantry. You know pantry. how many movies I watch? You can pause it on the pantry. Let's yeah. look at the fucking beans. It's it's his apology for faking the moon landing. Yeah, right? there you go. <laughs> See how that one bean's upside down? That's an I'm sorry bean. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, all right, there you go. So our next question we'll throw out to you. I have a feeling you're going to get this one as well. Uh, hopefully. Um, Stephen King, since he did, of course, retire to Florida, loves the idea of people retiring to warm climates. In The Shining, we see um, Danny and his mom retiring to Florida so they never have to see another snowflake again. Where does Jesse retire to at the end of Gerald's game? Oh, shit. Oh. The film version, not the, the film novel. Ver- oh. Oh. God, all right, it's rapid fire. I don't. Mm. Uh, Tahiti. It's also a hot southern city. Oh, Savannah? Close, New Orleans. New Orleans. God damn it. See, as I never watched it, I'm just going to throw out whatever. Yeah. So. No, yeah, yeah, god damn it. Watch it. It's excellent. No, Gerald's game's awesome. You need to watch it. All it's right. good. Mm hmm. So, of course, we all got the feels, as they say, when the music played in Dr. Sleep when they're returning to the Overlook Hotel. Who was the legendary composer behind the score of the original Shining? And a frequent collaborator on Kubrick's films. Why are you doing this to me? Oh, good damn it. I can't, I can't think of his name. I'm fucked. Yeah, I can't either. Oh, I feel so bad about this. Like, I know the fucker's name. Can I hum it for, like, half a credit? Like, <laughs> <laughs> I, I know the fucker's name, though. But yeah, I can't. I can't. Uh, I can't it was the it. famed synthesizer composer, initially Walter Carlos, later Wendy Carlos. That's fucking. Yeah. God damn it. <laughs> I mean, how many times you watch The Shining and that comes across like yep. music by, composed by, and you're like, oh, thank you, sir. I'll remember this for a trivia question. She yeah. also did the soundtrack to A Clockwork Orange, which was probably yes. the more iconic The work. horns, but the horns in that, the definitely... Yeah, you, know, you could definitely. She tell. arranged all the classical pieces on uh, various synthesizers and computer equipment at the time. Anyhow, cool stuff. Um, so, in that same vein, there is some original music to be found in The Shining. The standard that plays at the end is "Midnight Stars and You," as Jack is sucked into the fabric of the Overlook forever. What other movie uses that as a pivotal scene? And I'll give you a hint: it's a post-apocalyptic movie. It involves a fight that has a fish in it. Motherfucker. I had to do this, but could you repeat the question? Sure. (laughs) The song that plays at the end of The Shining is used in which recent post-apocalyptic movie that has a fight sequence scored to it involving a fish? Involving a fish? Post-apocalyptic. Ah. Who's an actor in that movie? I mean, I got another hint on that, because, like, I just... Sure, we'll give you a hint. I don't want to skip the question. Captain America's in it. Oh, Shit, goddamn, um, am I allowed to steal uh, Snow, yeah. Snowpiercer? Yeah, that's yeah, Snowpiercer. That thing pops <laughs> up. I think of the Snowpiercer. goddamn movie. Right, that's what I thought nothing. it was, and that helped me. Thank you very much. All right, so this is your third one. Right. Yep. And you're two nothing, you bastard. Which movie had joint auditions along with Carrie? I believe that would be uh, Star Wars at New Hope. Yep, that's yeah, correct. He is, he is. Yeah, yeah I knew yeah. that one. Yeah. Fucker. Cool. <laughs> and returning back. Which pop star did Stephen King write a long-form music video for? The fuck Give you a hint, it was in the 80s. I have no idea. It's not the only Supernatural video this pop star ever did. I was about to say, uh, Mr. Michael Jackson, I believe. That's right. Wait, Thriller? No. 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 He didn't write Thriller. He wrote a longer John, form. That's right, John Lannis had Lan- Yeah, that's right. Yeah, a forgotten one called Ghosts. Oh, mm-mm. Yee-hee. No, yeah. I just, I don't, I have no idea. It's some <laughs> 40 minutes long, scripted and written by Stephen King. And nobody remembers. I guess we don't yeah. need to use the tiebreaker. No. As, That's um, three nothing. You got, yeah, yeah. So I got my ass kicked again. Uh, I don't. We're gonna get something up about keeping a tally because I keep saying I don't that. No, do you want to at this point? I fuck you, <laughs> fuck you, <laughs> fuck you. Can we make that? Yes. A, can we make that a T Public shirt? Just a score, like you know, with a dry we'd erase part update, of it. We'd have to update that. No, like, you just put it on there, you know. So you want it now because you're in the lead. Yeah, exactly. I believe you're in yeah, the lead by yeah. like two episodes. I think. Yeah, whatever. Yeah. Whatever. I, anyway, I might be counting. I'm going to kick my ass again. 
Uh, um, I hope you I hope you knew some of the questions. Mike brought some solid questions. Thank you, sir. Thank you for being on this episode. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. I love this and, topic. Um, everyone else, we will talk to you later. enjoy stories about drunk men on tractors t-boning a police car or someone jumping a gorge in a nissan versa or literally any story that comes out of florida then you're gonna love booze clues the latest podcast on the geeks under the influence network we do this show live every month in the dark room in richmond virginia it is a cavalcade of comedians podcasters performers in an investigation or riff on drunken crimes and debaucherous activity around the world doors are at seven show starts at eight it's 21 up and free. Again, that's at the Dark Room, 2818 West Broad Street in the upstairs suite. For more information, go to GYPodcast.com. This is Mike the Hobbit, direct from Fallout on a trivia night, telling you to come here every first and third Monday for trivia between 8 and 10, 25 cent wings, drink specials, prizes, and tons of really inappropriate trivia. It's a lot of fun. Do you guys agree? Definitely come out and enjoy trivia every first and third Monday at Fallout.